It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, you know what, Rich? Um, I think it's uh, this weekend now that there's going to be the big pro-life march in Washington. Tell us, you know, what does that mean, pro-life march in Washington? Well, it's the March for Life in Washington, and every year since the passage of Roe versus Wade, these Christian pro-life, pro-family people have said, whether it's uh, snowing or raining or whatever, we're going to have a presence in Washington, D.C. to let everybody know that we stand for the right to life for these innocent unborn <laughs> children. Right. You stand for and life. Stand for life and yeah. march for life. And that's what, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Now, you and I have been there uh, two, three, four years maybe, and I'll tell you, I was so impressed, folks, because there you would see tens of thousands of people from all over the United States. And I mean, they were the young people and the middle-aged people and the older people. But they were the most wonderful people. Then I always watch, how clean is it going to be when the whole thing is over? And I mean, they pick up, matter of fact, no trash, nothing. These are the nicest people. Well, These are the cream of the crop of American citizenry. It's, of course, the exact flip side of what was there last week with this women, the so-called yeah. Women's March, well, which was just terrible. And, and, you know, but this yeah. is just wonderful people. Well, people have to decide. America has many, many things. It has many, many things. But I'll tell you, there's always the best, the best that we can uh, go and, and, and reach for our nature, our better natures. That's the way Congressman Henry Hyde put it. And they're not marching for themselves. They're marching for the rights of another. Now, last Sunday, I guess, was Pro-Life Sunday. Now, our church, I'll say it plain, uh, folks, because any good Bible-preaching church is just wonderful. Our church is Lenexa Baptist Church, Kansas City. I was so proud. I was so proud when our pastor, Chad McDonald, wasn't that a wonderful, wonderful um, message there that he called attention to that. Sure, he acknowledged that this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and he showed out of the Bible what the Bible has to say about the sanctity of life and about how God knew us even before we were formed in our mother's wombs. And he took us through verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that illustrated that the life in the womb is ordained by God, and it is sacred. Yeah, he sure did. Um, and I was so proud. Now, folks, let me ask you nicely. Uh, if Did your pastor do something similar? Uh, maybe even can I ask you, does he occasionally at least say, look, this is a pro-life church. Naturally, it's a pro-life church. But anyway, uh, ask yourself that because there are many, many good Bible-preaching churches and Bible-believing churches. But that's kind of the whole counsel of God. And isn't it an amazing thing that the idea of life, L-I-F-E, is something that could even be possibly considered as controversial? Remember many years ago in St. Louis, we saw that sign in front of the church that said, God is pro-life. Yeah. All right. Now, listen, let's get on with this, because I thought, what is going to be the best pro-life complete story that we could possibly bring, and I just wanted it to be unique. I wanted it to bring to our audience attention something that would make them think, Rich, you know, this isn't a game, is it? Isn't it a sorrow that America has been wallowing in this? Now, listen, folks, 
I have often thought an old man like I am, if I was in Germany at that time when the Jews were being put to, put to death, would I have the courage of a Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Would I have the courage to stand up and speak out? I hope to goodness I would have, I would have uh, my prayer life. I hope to goodness I would certainly uh, know right from wrong and up from down and everything else. But now that's, that's just true. If we were to live in America during the days of slavery and if we were born in the South someplace, would we, Rich, have the courage to do what's right? Would we have the courage to stand up and say, let's do what's right? I'll tell you, folks, we have interviewed Jill Stenick on The Complete Story. She's a nurse over in Illinois, and she was a nurse at Christ Hospital. And she didn't realize what they were doing by the way of abortion there. Christ Hospital, can you imagine that? And then one day, there was this little little baby, a little aborted baby, in the in the dirty linen closet, and it was still alive. And Jill Stanick, uh, she just couldn't help herself. She sat there, and she held that little baby, little baby boy, in her arms until he drew his last breath. Because by the time she found him, why there was no way to save his life. But had he have been treated like a human being from the first moment. And I'll tell you what, folks, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, let me introduce this by saying, if you're not listening to Janet Mefford on Bot Radio Network, you should be. Now, Rich, I catch her between 10 and 11 at night on my station. I just have a little radio by my nightstand there, and I never want to miss her. Uh, do are she carried on at other times on other stations? Yeah, she's at, at ten o'clock in the evening on most bot radio network stations. There are some stations where she's carried in the afternoon as well. So uh, look look on our website botradionetwork.com. But I am so proud of our broadcast ministries, and I want to encourage our listeners to listen to Janet Mefford. Yeah, Janet Mefford. I'm telling you, folks, uh, she does a fantastic job. You're going to hear her voice in just a little bit, but she interviewed. She interviewed a lady by the name of Melissa Oden, O-H-D-E-N, and what an amazing story. So turn your radio up. I mean, I had never, I was just, here. you know, I'm an old guy, so I go to sleep pretty early, but I was electrified. So let me just give this by way of introduction. Melissa Oden was 14 years old when she learned that she is the survivor of a botched abortion. See, Rich, not many people survive that. There aren't many Jewish people that survive the Holocaust. That's just the truth of it. But there are a few that can tell the story. Anyway, that's when she was a little 14-year-old girl. Now, in this intimate story, she details for the first time her search for her biological parents and her own journey from anger and shame and finally, to faith and empowerment. After a decade-long search, Melissa finally got a lead on her birth father and uh, wrote him a letter uh, to extend her forgiveness, only then to learn later, soon thereafter, that he had died without answering her burning questions. Then her mother's parents say that they 
would, would not pass along Melissa's letter to her. Uh, years later, when she finally hears from the woman who carried her and gave her life, she finds out why her grandparents tried to stop uh, that letter from going through. But the shocking truth is more than Melissa could bear at the time. Here it is, folks. We are back on Janet Meffer today, and as we are mourning another anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, I'm always moved when I hear personal stories about how different people have been affected by abortion. But I have heard few that are as moving as the story you are about to hear. Melissa Oden was a teenager when she learned that she survived a botched abortion, and she is out with a new book talking about her journey from anger and guilt to forgiveness. Great book, You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. Melissa, it is just so great to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about your background. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard you standing for life on Capitol Hill, and you've been out and about talking a little bit, but I'm sure there are many more who have not heard how you found out you were supposed to be aborted. Talk a little bit about how you found out what happened to you. Yeah, I was I was raised in a home of great faith, a home where I knew where I was that I was adopted, you know, never felt less than or any of those things. And when I was 14 years old, the truth about my survival came to light. And really through a very unplanned set of circumstances, my older sister, who's also adopted, faced an unplanned pregnancy herself as a high school student and was considering all of her options at the time. You know, I'm grateful that she told her parents that she, she was trying to make a decision. And I'm even more thankful that my parents felt that it was important to tell her the story of my survival, hoping that she could really understand the depths of that decision she was considering. And, um, you know, after she found out my story, she did choose life for her son and went on to have other children. But you know, like any good teenage girl, she didn't keep that story that she heard a secret oh, from me. Yeah, <laughs> right. She, well, you no, was in a, it was in a fight, wasn't it, when it she was, revealed it? Yeah, it was. <sighs> it was. You know, it's interesting because my mom, my mom, my adoptive mom, as some people know her, but mom. And my mom said, when people read this book, I don't want them to think like we were just leaving it up to your sister to tell you. And I said, no, 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 mom. I think I think they're going to catch it. We were we were sisters. We fought a lot. And before they could get to me themselves, yes, my sister let it slip to me in an argument. My sister actually yelled at me. She said, you know, Missy, at least my biological parents wanted me. Oh, that's rough. That is rough. So, yeah. So then it was uh, on your mom. That It was on your mom then, wasn't it, to, to tell you what happened? It was. It was. So, you know, that night, my sister, you know, just had said, wait up for mom and dad tonight, ask them to tell you the truth. And she said these ominous words, you will see. And I did see, you know, mom and I sat together for hours that night. I could just tell there was something that she needed to say and she didn't really want to, but I never saw this one coming. And so she blurted the words that night. She said, you know, Missy, your biological mother had an abortion during her pregnancy with you and you survived it. Amazing. Well, and I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because you find out more about that later on. But what was your reaction? Obviously, total shock. But did you think for a moment, how could I have survived an abortion? Oh, absolutely. Like, how does this happen? Ugh. Right? I mean, how could this have happened? And and why would anybody do this to me? And And gosh, I've never heard of anything like this before. I must be the only one, right? Yeah. 
No. And I'm not. No, you're not. What, it was a saline abortion, is that right? It was. It was. It was a saline infusion abortion, which was, you know, the most common procedure 39 years ago. And, and um, you know, somebody sent me a message this morning and said, well, she must be lying, right? <laughs> because there's another lady who survived a saline infusion abortion, and her story's too much like hers. Oh. Well, that's Gianna Jessen. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and our stories are actually incredibly different. Um, but yes, we survived the same procedure just a few months. Um, in a few months span of time in 1977. Oh my, that is awful. So how did you cope with it? What happened to you emotionally in the aftermath of learning this information? What all went through your head? I coped poorly, I'll be honest. You know, in the book, I detail that really for the first time. I, you know, for a while, I was in a pretty good spot, right? Just kind of trying to to cope with it. And I had a great supportive family and church and even my public school and my friends, the few that I told um, but as time went on, the culture really weighed heavily on me. You know, this culture that says, well, you know, you're a mistake, right? This mm-hmm. was not supposed to happen. If it was successful, you'd be dead, right? And um, it, it, was, it was a choice. It was a right. And so I came to this place where I really despised myself. I did not want to be this person. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be this abortion survivor. And all I felt was incredible pain, thinking that my birth mother must have hated me, right? if she would have done this. And so I struggled with an eating disorder. I struggled with alcohol abuse. You know what? I engaged in inappropriate relationships, just trying to distance myself from who I was. And what I did, of course, was create more suffering. Yeah. But, you know, in your defense, this would be bombshell news for anybody. And the problem with that is there aren't a lot of people you probably could even go to in the whole country who survived an abortion. So probably the isolation also was difficult. Definitely. You you really hit the nail on the head, Janet. That's so true, right? Because it was like uh, nobody understands me and, and, and there's nowhere I can turn to. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I coped probably like most 14-year-olds and probably like a 41-year-old would if <laughs> they were in yeah. my shoes. Right. Oh, absolutely. What, what point, at what point, Melissa, did you try to find out what happened? And because you did go, you wanted to have contact l- later with your, your parents, your biological parents. Tell us a little bit about that journey, how that all kind of came together. Yeah, and people ask me sometimes, right, like, why would you go looking for them? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is very simple, right? I mean, God, right. God called me to go looking for them. And and the other flip side of that is that I desperately wanted some answers. Sure. And so when I was 19, I started that journey and, you know, didn't find them until I was about 30 years old. So it was about 11 years that I searched. And and I often joke, you know, I'm a pretty good detective. I, I did a lot of investigation in those 11 years. Um, ended up moving to the same city where the abortion took place in the midst of that, which allowed me this further opportunity to search libraries and, you know, pour over all sorts of things. And so in 2007, I ultimately found my biological parents, but only because when I received my medical records, they forgot to black out their their names in one little spot. Oh, my. Yeah, because it, well, it wasn't an open adoption then. So you, you had a little bit of digging that you had to do. Right. Yes. And for somebody like me, right, where something like this has happened, I really felt like there, there were additional obstacles in my way. People didn't, you know, really want this story to get out. No, I would imagine not. Well, didn't you write your father a letter? Was that the first step that you took in order to make contact? 
Yeah. So in 2007, when I found out who my biological parents were, started searching. And, you know, that same night here, I learned that I'm living in the very same city that he was. Mm. He had grown up in the city where the abortion took place, stayed there, at, you know, came back there after he went to college. And um, so here we were in the very same city. God is so good. Yeah. And um, sent him a letter to his office. You know, kind of trying to protect him a little bit mm. and told him, you know, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm blessed, I'm not angry, I'm not bitter. I would love to communicate with you someday oh. and never heard back. Oh. I, I'm just trying to picture getting a letter like that. Oh, this child that you had, I didn't die. I mean, that, that must have been an incredible shock. Yeah, well, and, you know, the more I, I learn over the years, the more I have reason to believe, Janet, that he did not ever know that I survived. Oh, wow. Wow. And so then I think about that, right? Like, he had to have thought this was some terrible joke. Maybe. Yeah, that's maybe what happened. But you never were able to meet him, right? Because he died. That's right. So I, I came to a place of peace and accepted that I would probably never get a response. But I, I did Google his name from time to time. Um, I can joke about that now. My husband had told me not to do that. But I did it. And... <laughs> I stumbled across his obituary in January of 2008. Oh. And, you know, I questioned God that night. Yeah. You know, after so many years of searching, we were in the same city and he was gone. And, and God spoke very clearly to me that night and said, be patient <laughs> because my plan is much greater. Melissa survived an abortion, not as the mother, but as the baby. And she is telling her story from her book, You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. So we were to the point in the story, Melissa, where you had sent a letter to your biological father, hadn't heard back, found out that he had died, and then found out that his family was cleaning out the office and found the letter. What happened from there? Yeah. So, and of course, I didn't even know that that was happening, right? I was kind of searching for them. And what I didn't know was that at the same time, they were searching for me. So after they found his letter, um, of course, they learned that that I was there in the same city and that I was starting to do public ministry. Um, And they tried connecting with me and I I kind of missed (laughs) missed that happening until right after our, our oldest daughter was born. And she just happened to be born at the same hospital where my life was supposed to end. Mm. Mm. Trust me, I didn't plan on doing that. I didn't really want to do that. And God just worked out all those details (laughs) in spite of me. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, And not long after she was born, I received a card in the mail, and it was from my biological father's family. What was that like? Um, Absolutely surreal. You know, it's funny because it's been about almost nine years now since that happened. And now I still get really choked up about it because it's again, one of those things that I had always wanted, but I, I never expected. And um, so now my grandfather and my great aunt from my birth father's family are a huge part of our lives still today. Oh, wow. And your father kept that letter. I mean, the fact that they found it, he didn't throw it away. Exactly. I think he had to, because I shared the things that I did. <laughs> Nobody else could have known wow. the things that I knew. Yeah, that that's stunning. So you eventually met your mother. This is an incredible story that you tell in the book about finally meeting her and what you learned. Share with the audience about that. What happened? Yeah, so... Uh, In 2007, when I found out who she was, I actually couldn't find her physically through my searching, but I found her parents and um, sent them a letter 
not knowing that it was my own grandmother that was responsible for all of these things. Uh, and they were kind enough to reply to me. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But sadly, they said in their letter back then that my messages to my birth mother wouldn't be passed along because they were completely estranged. Oh. And so really, once again, you know, the story of my life, right? Have to learn to live in peace, let things go, accept. And so I did. And I went on with my life. And lo and behold, in 2013, her cousin contacted me and just said, you know, we really feel like it's time to to let you know that there's even more to this story. And so my cousin was kind enough to tell me about the abortion being forced upon her, that it was my own grandmother who was a nurse that was responsible for all of these things and open the lines of communication with my half-sisters and ultimately with my biological mother. And then we spent about three years just really getting to know each other, you know, sending pictures, emails, letters, all of these things. And we met face-to-face for the first time uh, late last spring. Oh, my goodness. That's Well, it sounds like when she had the abortion, she didn't know you were alive. She didn't know you survived it. You're correct. I never could have saw that coming. Yeah, that blew me away. When I read that in the book, I thought, can you imagine? I mean, I, I can't on any of your parts, your mom, your dad, you. I just, oh, what, what a situation to be in. Why? What, like, how do you survive an abortion and then they don't tell you your baby's still alive? Right. I know. Because, like, I always tell people, like, the more I learn, the more questions I have. To sure. Be um, yeah. um, and, and God and I are going to have long conversations someday. I know this. Uh, But what I do know is that when I was delivered at the hospital, my grandmother was there and, you know, was not happy that I survived. Um, That was not supposed to happen. And I understand that probably she was shocked and and worried and scared and, um, you know, actually demanded that I be left to die there in the hospital room. And, you know, over the years, we were told that a couple of nurses fought for me and my biological mother was able to share the story with me just recently that one of those nurses actually took me from the room and rushed me to the nursery, believing that if other people knew I was alive, then maybe, maybe I wouldn't be left to die. Oh. And so, you know, there had to have been a lot of craziness going on when I was delivered, but my birth mother had been undergoing this procedure for five days longer than oh. what she oh. should have been. Yeah. And you know, when I say she was forced, you know, people can use their imagination. Think about this for a second. This was not her decision. And so we can imagine, right, what kind of condition she was in, what was done to her to make this happen. Right. And so when I was delivered, she was not in any state mentally, emotionally, spiritually to, to be aware of what was happening. And she was told, don't look at it. Mm. It's hideous. Oh, no. Oh, and no. She, and of course, in her mind, she's thinking, no, I should not look because, look, I don't want to see what just happened to my baby, right? Right. She wasn't thinking, oh, gosh, they're telling me not to look at it because, ah, she's alive. That, she didn't know I was a girl. She didn't know any of those things. Oh, my goodness. Well, what I don't understand, and I guess maybe it's, I don't remember how old your mom was. Was She, she was a minor when she had? She was 19. 19. Okay. Well, because I was going to say, why wouldn't the hospital staff share with her your baby's still alive and then go on to take you and to adopt you out? I mean, d- didn't your mother have any right to know that? 
That's And that's where most of our questions lie, like who knew what and who was responsible for what. What I do know is that she and I have compared records and the signature on my adoption paperwork is not hers oh. under normal circumstances. Now, maybe she was in such a condition that they, you know, had her scribble her name on something. I don't know. But I also know that my grandmother was a woman that was in a very powerful position. Oh, my Boy, you have so much to work through, Melissa, with the whole story and how it all happened and all the family involved. And how do you get to a place of being able to forgive? Because so much happened to you that's just unbelievable. That I just yeah, I'm like, staggered. But right? where do you start? And how, how do you get to a place where you say, I forgive all of you? And I mean, it's got to be difficult. But what was that like for you to be able to say, Mom, Dad, I forgive you? You know, that's... Um that's why I can get through the craziness of all of this because I have forgiven. And, you know, I always tell people like the first time I forgave them was so long ago when I was still a teenager, you know, I, even though I didn't know all the circumstances, you know, I knew in my heart that I was called to forgive them in the way that I've been forgiven and, and to love the way that I've been loved. And so, um, you know, at first that seed would first was planted years ago, but as time goes on, I mean, the love deepens and the forgiveness is, is something that I have to choose every single day. You know, as the pieces about my grandmother came out, it was like, oh, no, please, no, don't, yeah. let, don't let this be true. But guess what? It is true. And so I have to forgive once again. And, and that, that's what gets me through it. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? I'm going to say this trying not to cry myself because I'm just so moved by what happened to you. But clearly, God protected you. You had someone above the situation making sure that you lived, that you got into a family, that you went on to have your own children. I mean, that's, despite all the horrors of it, that's beautiful. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing of grace that you see in your life. Yeah, and he wants that for everybody. And he's writing that. I mean, I do... I know that we go through circumstances in our life, right, where somebody is probably questioning right now and saying, God cannot be present in what is happening in my life. But I say, hold on, (laughs) hold on. He is there right now, and you're going to see what he's doing, but you're going to see it later. Yes. We don't understand it at the time, right? Right. And later we get to go, oh, I get it now. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, what do you think, if anything, is still kind of outstanding in being able to close the book for you? Or do you think it'll be open for you in some ways for the rest of your life? Oh, boy, that's such a great question. You know, I like to think that I'm in a spot where I'm, I'm done. But I also know that God's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Good point. So I would have to say... The book is not finished yet, Um, and I look forward to seeing what the rest of the chapters look like. Well, that's a good place to be in, and that's right, exactly. You're you're on your way. I'm sure there's a lot more ahead, and you have been such a strong voice for life, Melissa. You have, I know, encouraged so many people, and, and you really are a living, breathing example of the grace of God, and I know how many people have been moved by what's happened to you, and I know they're going to love your book, and again, I want to give out the title. It is called You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. You've got to check it out, Melissa Oden. Such an honor to talk to you, Melissa. I just loved it. I'm so glad you were able to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, You know, Rich, what I loved about that also, it was a program of forgiveness. 
and forgiveness. And you know what? Can we start loving each other and welcoming the little babies and then uh, grieving for those who have gone on and be, I don't want to use the word decent, but it kind of comes to that, doesn't it? Can we come to that point in America, especially America's churches, to recognize, to recognize the difference between the unwanted, even the little one, even the little one, that Christ said, come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And you know the rest of the story. Yes, Jesus loves me. Uh, we've all sung that as a chorus in Sunday school. But let's, after hearing this story at least, let it live in our heart. That's right. That's right. This is a perfect illustration of the humanity of the unborn child that's scheduled yeah. for death. And uh, Well, anyway, God bless you folks. God bless you folks. This is our little time here. And thank the... you to Janet Mefford. Oh, and Janet Mefford and this lady being courageous Melissa to write Oden. the book. And uh, all of these people. We are one family. We are one family. This is Dick Bott with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service. And I'll see you later. Thank you.